It's time for the 3304 Sports Podcast with your hosts, Dan Steinbeck and Cole Bourne Bergstrom. Welcome into the 3304 Sports Podcast. I'm Dan Steinbach. I'm with Cole Bjorn Bergstrom. Cole Bjorn, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Excited to be hopping back on and got some good stuff to talk about this week. Yeah, I had a, I had a nice little long weekend, so I wasn't able to be with you to get out of podcast. But, you know, I'm back. We're doing one uh, for, uh, I guess, the weekday. We're recording on Tuesday, July 20th. Honestly, I, I want to try to get this out tonight. Um, I'm not expecting this one to be a very long one. Not too many topics to discuss, at least that are fresh in the mind uh, of people, because last week did have some news stories that we'll definitely touch on. Um, but it seems like in the media landscape, in the evolving media landscape of sports uh, media, uh, these kind of news stories have kind of, um, I, I don't want to say been forgotten, but they're, they're definitely not front page news anymore. Um, actually, you know what? I completely, we completely forgot about this in cross. When do the Olympics start? Because I feel like they should be starting up really, really soon. All right, yeah, the Olympics start this week. So the Olympics start in three days. Um, just some other things. We don't, I don't know how much we're going to focus on the Olympics uh, while they're happening, while we're recording. Maybe we will. Um, we were talking about the controversy with uh, Shikari Richardson and all that uh, on a previous episode. So be sure to go check that out. Uh, just some other news stories. Um, just some other happenings in the world of sports. The NHL, they've wrapped up their season. Uh, they're going to be having their expansion draft tomorrow night for the Seattle Kraken uh, and their amazing logo. They're having that tomorrow night. And then the rest of the entry draft is uh, on the 23rd and 24th. And it's all going to be on ESPN. ESPN now has the NHL. So I'm looking at, I'm looking forward to you know watching games on an actual sports channel and not CNBC. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, other than that, uh, I said this was going to be a shorter episode this week, and that's because we, we might have another episode later on, uh, focusing on some football. Cause you know, football coming right around the corner, we're about to start training camp. Some teams are st- starting training camp. Um, you know, big news of today, uh, was LA Rams running back Cam Akers. He's going to be a second year player, had a good season for them last year. Didn't really, uh, start a lot, only started five games, but he came out as their leading rusher and I'm sure they were looking forward to, uh, utilizing him more in that offense, but he tore his Achilles. He's going to be out for the season. And, you know, in, in terms of actual football, um, in terms of actual football applications, uh, you know, winning and losing real games, I'm not sure how much that impacts um, the Rams, but if we want to talk fantasy football, you know, there are some heavy implications with that, with uh, the Rams offense of Daryl Henderson um, just because I remember last year when we were talking Rams running backs, uh, you know, the Rams running backs were, you know, it was Malcolm Brown, it was Cam Akers, it was Daryl Henderson. And they all just kind of shared those touches where if you combine them, they're a really good running back in fantasy, but when you split them apart, you know, it limits their value. Um, so I, I wanted to talk about that on another episode. So later this week, we're going to bring you guys a fantasy football special. Uh, where we're going to break down position groups. I'm going to give you some advice. I won both my leagues last year, um, and I won in both a big league. I won in a 19-team league, and I won in a smaller league with only six people. So it's all about just you know managing managing that week to week. Got to make sure that you hit your you nail your draft because I, I draft is just the most important uh, part of the fantasy football season. You know, we'll give you guys our thoughts. Um, 
sleeper picks and whatnot. And then throughout the season, we can give you advice as well. So just wanted to update you on some of the things happening around the sports world. Um, hmm. So, so after all that, where do we want to start? We want to start with the, with, with just some NBA final stuff. We got game six tonight. Um, Scott Foster is refing, So that means the Bucks win. Um, I don't know what else to say other than that. I, you know, I watched game five, you know, the Bucks come back down from 2-0. I thought it was a done series. I thought that they would push it, but I mean, Giannis is playing really well. Drew Holiday came up with that big play at the end of game five. Um, Devin Booker ha- has had a, an amazing last two games in terms of scoring output, but it just has not been enough. Um, what have you seen in the series where Milwaukee has just been able to come out with these wins late? Um, yeah, it, it just seems like Giannis, it feels like Giannis is just starting to take over. And, you know, we can joke about Scott Foster tonight, but is Milwaukee just the team to, is it just their finals to lose right now? Uh, well, I mean, it certainly is their finals to lose. Um, I think a lot of it, and I remember, I think uh, we talked about come Brooklyn as well, but I think a lot of it is um, from on Milwaukee's end itself is this big three is really coming together, like specifically during the series. Um I mean, you can go ahead and, like, look at the stat lines for all of them. I don't think they've, uh, like, really anyone in the big three, particularly in the last three games, have had, like, a really bad game. Um, Overall, it's been a close series overall. But as as you go and, like, look at the box scores, the leading score can kind of, like, change per night. It doesn't matter. But the Bucs have been, like, doing pretty well. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at it, like, even right now in game four, Holiday had, like, a bad game. But beyond that, um, being up really well, they're able to, uh, cut out some things. I think uh, the injury that came to Dario Saric has definitely hurt the team, just can't, like balance wise. Um, but certainly during the finals, something that has kind of come up, which blows, is Chris Paul hasn't been like as like like amazing as he was leading up to now. Like he, it's not like he's horrible, but there is a difference in his um, uh, capabilities. Uh, I, I think part of it could possibly be in. Uh, in part to uh, just overall like Milwaukee system, maybe even Drew Holiday being on him. Drew, I think Drew Holiday's on him at the very least. Uh, he's he's excellent guard, and uh, they they just have really good defensive guards in Milwaukee. Um, to you know my knowledge, um, but yeah, it, it's certainly the the biggest thing is that the big three have come to play during these finals, and uh, yeah, I mean as you said, ever since the first two games, Milwaukee's just fought back. Um, I have a feeling Phoenix still has a shot, particularly because these games have been close. As you said, game five was a comeback for Milwaukee. And then if you even look at like the games leading up to that, game four, Milwaukee only won by six. The game before, they won by 20. So that was like the biggest win. But beyond that, like the series, it's not like there's been too much to separate them minus the third game being won by 20. So Phoenix is still in this. They just have to find that way to break down this Milwaukee team that they haven't been able to find in these past three games. Milwaukee's earned a lot of momentum. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's weird to me. Uh, a player like Chris Middleton being playing as well as he has, you know, I don't know. It's just weird because he's never been – he's really exploded just these last two seasons uh, turning in from like a nice three and D role player to a bona fide superstar. Like he's a franchise player. Now Um, you could build around him. I really do think, I think if he was more than a number two on someone else, uh, I think you'd be able to thrive with him. 
so that's that's been just a really a really interesting development. Um, I when the Drew Holiday trade happened, I was skeptical. I, I was thinking, okay, because I, I was an Eric Bledsoe fan, so I was thinking, okay, what what really does Drew Holiday bring to the table more than Eric Bledsoe? Um, and I mean, hey, he's just showing it right now. He's showing up in the big moments. Yep. Um, and uh, other than that, I don't know what else to say. I mean, Milwaukee is just playing really good basketball, and you know, both both these teams are really well constructed rosters, um, and they fit what they're trying to do. You know, when you look at their respective centers, you know, DeAndre Ayton fits perfectly with what the Suns want to do with Devin Booker, and with Giannis. I mean, you need a floor spacer, and Brook Lopez is probably one of the better or one of the best uh, floor spacing centers yep. in the NBA. He's he's just cranked up his three point output in the past few seasons, so. You know, it, it's been an entertaining series. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens tonight. Uh, but with Scott Foster on the call, it, it definitely seems like Phoenix is a little bit screwed and Milwaukee <laughs> takes takes it on their home court. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Um, so other than that, I, I guess we can turn our attention to some other uh, basketball news, some other NBA player news uh, with the United States men's basketball team. They've kind of been a story the last two weeks, specifically their first two games against Nigeria and Australia uh, with those two losses. And I think it was said, like the United States has never lost back-to-back exhibitions or back-to-back games period since they started letting NBA players play with the 92 dream team. Um, So when you think of it like that, in terms of scope, it is weird. And it's still weird to me the way we think about the makeup of this team and who's on this team, I think the immediate, the immediate response that everyone has for a team of this caliber uh, of this roster was, okay, well, this is one of the worst rosters the United States has put out there uh, with NBA players, you know, in a long time, this is one of the worst rosters. And I look back at like the Rio team that had like Harrison Barnes on it. Uh, They still were able to come away with gold. And I don't know how, I still feel about this team. Um, I mean, you talk about the fact I, they, they didn't care about the FIBA World Cup because they placed seventh and they were, they, they sent Derek White. And like Derek White's a nice player, but he's not one of the, you know, 12 best players in America. Um, you know, guys like LeBron and Steph just don't seem interested in it anymore. Um, but when, when I think about it like like that, just, just in terms of the United States for right now, because there are plenty of other conversations we could be having surrounding this team. I mean, they have won their last two games. They just beat Spain, who is the defending Nash, uh, uh, world champion uh, from that FIBA World Cup. So they seem to be clicking once again. I mean, they added in Kelvin Johnson and JaVale McGee, who are more team-oriented players. They're not those, you know, alphas on their own team where it's like, okay, now you put them all together. It's like, how do you expect them to gel? Um so, so just in terms of the talent that the U S is sending is talent. And cause it seems like talent in the NBA, it feels like it's at an all time high. Maybe it's just nostalgia talking for some, for certain people. Like when you're talking about prime LeBron, like Kobe D Wade, you know, prime mellow Dwight Howard, those players versus the players of today, you know, the Jason Tatums uh, who are on the U S team, you know, Damian Lillard, um, you know, that just that kind of era that we're in Bradley Beal is talent in the NBA, just on a downswing. And, you know, the U S team just isn't as good. Obviously we could still send LeBron and stuff over, but it, you know, the United States, even with their B team, it, it, there is, there feels still like a talent gap. 
because you also have to take into account that FIBA is a completely different game. We've seen everyone talking about how the refing in uh, Olympic basketball and worldwide basketball, uh, it's different than the NBA. You know, there's not those ticky-tack fouls. Um, And of course, these teams that have played, these other national teams, it's the same core group of players. They played together forever. You know, Argentina still has, you know, 700-year-old Luis Scola playing. And it's like that team chemistry can't just be, you know, modified by throwing, you know, Beal and Booker and Tatum and Durant and Bam and Abayo all on the court at the same time and just being, okay, go play basketball. Because they don't play with each other. They play against each other in the NBA. So what are all your thoughts on what's happening? Uh, those first two losses, you know, is this team really, you know, not as good as past seasons or past years? But what are you, what are you thinking? I think there could be a lot of things. I mean, one of the big things with the U.S. men's roster, which I think is kind of cool, is the fact of the talent I think is so good in the NBA, as you kind of said, particularly I think even now, that there seems to be a lot of turnover, like, in the national team. Like, it it, it wasn't that long ago where you'd have, uh, you know, legends like CP3 and uh, LeBron and Kobe and all these other guys that'd be in the team. But like, you always had like that turnover. Um, you had, I think coach K who'd coached the team for a while. Now we have coach Popovich. Uh, I think you may have even had some other guys before them, but like, it's, it's kind of been like a rotation at times. It feels like, and particularly now, if you look at the team, a lot of these guys are, as, as you said, which I hadn't, you know, this isn't even something that fully comes to mind when you think about it, but they're like the stars of their team. Who's the leading man of Boston? Jason Tatum, leading man of Portland, Damian Lillard. Uh, you know, a, a very uh, he has a very strong personality. Draymond Green, uh, Zach Levine's one of the leaders in Chicago. Uh, Jeremy Grant was was a big portion of Detroit this past year. Um, Kevin Durant, leader of Brooklyn. Bam Adebayo, um, one of the like top guys in Miami. And uh, you'll have like the likes of Devin Booker and Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton who are. Uh, all slated on the on the site to be on the team but obviously they're in the finals right now so you're missing some of these players and you have all of these all-stars from their own teams I think that could be part of the issue um in which then bringing in guys like JaVale McGee and Keldon Johnson will help not only with I think they're a little bit more defensive but on top of that as you said they aren't the alphas of their team they're there to be role players they're there to like help out and let the other like all-stars shine so I think it's going to be a little bit about working like that chemistry bit of it. And I think once the other three players come in, uh, Booker, Holiday, Middleton, I swore I heard CP3 is going to be in this team. I guess he's not. Um, but I think once you get like some of those guys going and once you get this whole team together, I think that's really what's going to start helping it out. Um, like at the end of the day, you just have to work as a team. Uh, obviously uh, we had, we had uh, what was it? Love and Beal go down, which blows, but there's so much talent in this roster that ironic or I don't know if it's ironic, but it's more, it, it feels surprising to say that Beal and love just, it's, there's surprisingly not that big of losses for the team, not because they're not good, but it's because there's so much talent there. So though, like originally I didn't like the idea of Kelton Johnson, JaVale McGee in hindsight and thinking about it now, they're players that really could help because if you think about it, even on NBA Twitter, a lot of people are like, you know, Trey Young is still out there and, 
and John Morant's still out there. And those guys are worth being on this team. They're very talented. They'll get their time. But I do agree. I think you, you just have to have a balance in this team, um, particularly when you don't have – like, when I look at this team personally, um, I mean, I could be wrong, but you don't have a guy like LeBron or like Kobe or really that guy who is the leader. Sure, KD is like, you know, a veteran and could kind of be a leader in that locker room. Uh, Drew Holiday, I think, could help with that, particularly with some of his time out there. JaVale McGee, I think um, there's been stuff showing like that he's really good for locker room aspects. But I feel like they're kind of missing that guy. So I think without that guy, you really need to build the chemistry around the team to build the confidence. And then hopefully you can get KD or someone to just step up and really say, I'm going to help lead the team. You guys just, you know, like help out. Like we all work together where we can win this. I mean, this is still easily the most talented roster in the world. They can win this. It's just, they got to get working together. So a lot, but (laughs) I, I think that's kind of the, consensus for me no I, I think you did hit everything and um you, you know you talk about Kelvin Johnson Kelvin Johnson had a nice game against Spain he scored 15 on very efficient shooting had some nice defense oh, yeah. um so seeing that kind of performance is good and again like Kelvin Johnson is he's a he's a really good NBA player like he's not a scrub I think a lot of people had a negative reactions to him being there or him being named to the team because it's like okay why is he being sent over there to me, it's like when you look at that 2019 roster for uh, the FIBA World Cup, it's like, okay, why is Derek White here? You know, um, but he, he's still really good, and he uh, honestly, Kelvin Johnson would still be would probably be the best player on a lot of countries, not named, uh, not, not not those in Europe that have like the Lukas and the Jokic's. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, when, when you look at that international, um, when, when you just like look at the international landscape. Yeah, the United States does have that talent gap. It's all about just trying to get them to play better together. And, you know, I think that that's something that we understand, but probably not something that someone like Stephen A. Smith understands when he made his, you know, comments yeah. after the Nigeria loss. Do um, you like that segue? I think that was pretty good. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was a great segue, yeah. Um, so he, he was just talking about, like, and some of these guys in the NBA, yeah, they're, they might be bench warmers, but again, they're, they're the best players in their countries, and they play together they played together and they just had they have that more team-centric mentality and even still it's an exhibition maybe the united states was just trying out stuff um trying out some offense trying to see who fits where maybe there's some headbutting going on that popovich has since dealt with with these two back-to-back wins now uh, against argentina and against spain um but man, Stephen A. Smith just had a bad, he had a bad 48 hours. He had those comments and pretty much just talking about how he didn't care about the correct pronunciations of the Nigerian team. And the Nigerian team has been playing some pretty good basketball. Like they, they seem like a nice team in the world rankings. They're pretty far down there, but you know, they upset Argentina right after that USA win. they beat them handily. And you know, they, a lot of the players are young too. And even still, I think a guy like Dan Adebayo who's playing for the United States, he could have played for Nigeria. So that makes him even scarier. Um, but basketball is just, I think the thing that we could also add too is that basketball is just growing worldwide and, you know, with more and more international players, like look at the, look at the 
some of the best players in uh, the NBA right now. You know, we can joke about it, but Rudy Gobert just won Defensive Player of the Year. Giannis has MVPs. Jokic just won MVP. Giannis is probably about to win the finals. Um, uh, Luka Doncic is talked about as one of is he might end his career as one of the best players of all time. Like that, that's yeah. just how the NBA is looking right now. It, basketball has really exploded to become this worldwide sport. And, you know, maybe it's not um, as popular in other countries. Obviously, like, say, soccer in Europe is king. But, you know, you still have European you still have European basketball in the circuit. You know, all those soccer clubs, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, they have uh, they have soccer or not soccer. They have basketball teams like they have basketball teams within their clubs. So uh, the sport is growing and that talent then comes from those countries back to the United States and they still play for their home countries. And, you know, that talent is increasing. Their team eight chemistry is some of the best in the world. And when they, and it's also too, when you play the United States, you're, you have to give them the, your a game and these countries do. So yeah. um, what Stephen A. Smith said there was very ignorant, obviously. And look, the thing with Stephen A. Smith and you know what, I'll, I'll just throw the Otani thing out there too. Talking about how, you know, maybe it isn't good for baseball uh, to grow their sport, you know, a sport that has been dying and something that I've talked about on this, on this podcast, I've kept complaining about how MLB with their marketing of players has been terrible. And Stephen A. Smith saying that it's a bad thing for uh, say the face of baseball to be a guy that needs a translator. It's bad for going to sport. It's, it's just, it's, a, it's ignoring the problem with baseball. Baseball's problem isn't that, a lot of the players, you know, come from Latin America or come from places that, you know, where English isn't their native language. With a guy like Shohei Otani, who is doing, who, who is having, honestly, I, I think it wouldn't be hyperbole to say this is the base, the best season of baseball by a single player we'll, we'll ever see. Um, the fact that he is pitching and pitching remarkably well at an all, at an all-star level and he is leading the league in home runs and extra base hits. He's, he's not just this like strikeout power hitter guy. He's a pretty well-rounded hitter with the power. Like he's a five tool baseball player. Um, they don't play him in the outfield as much anymore. They pretty much just leave him to DH. But the problem with baseball has been with it comes to the markability of players. We can't watch Shohei Otani every night. We have to wait until the angels are featured on ESPN or on Fox uh, where it's a national broadcast game because there's 162 of those games and 95% of them are on local LA television. So I can't watch Shohei Otani every night. Now that's the same thing with the NBA, but most of the time NBA, the NBA has their stars on, they have those doubleheader games. Baseball doesn't have that. And baseball can't have that because you can't have, you know, a game on TNT and a game on ESPN at, you know, starting at eight and then starting at 1030 because baseball just doesn't flow that way because all of their games start at the same time. So you can't have a game going from four to seven. And when they do, you know, that, that's when their, you know, good numbers come in when they're having double headers on Fox and FS one, but those games are on, you know, weekends and you're able to sit down and watch, you know, back-to-back -back baseball games, but even still it's, it's tough for baseball to grow when it's a sport that, you know, if you're having a double header, you have to commit eight hours to sitting in front of the screen compared to half the time uh, for the NBA. All of those are the problems that MLB faces with marketing their stars because Shohei Otani 
is an electric factory. He is so entertaining to watch that when you with just the home run derby, the home run derby honestly might be one of the most stale competitions uh, in All Star Weekend. You know, for when you look at all the All Star weekends, um, but the home run derby, it, like it used to be a lot more exciting when attention spans were longer. You know, we talk about uh, like some some legendary performances, uh, like Josh Hamilton uh, is the one that comes to mind immediately. Like that's exciting. Now they're changing it up. They're trying to give it a fresh take with the bracket and with the timed swings. You know, not doing the ten outs anymore. You know, people are tuning in for Shohei Otani because he's an exciting baseball player and then he loses to Juan Soto and a lot of people probably tune out, but that's the kind just the name brand that Shohei Otani has is something that I can't say any baseball player has had in a long time, probably since like Griffey or Barry Bonds or, or just like when baseball was bigger than it is now. And I, I think a lesson that can be learned for Stephen A. Smith here is look at what baseball has tried to do with one of their best players and a guy who probably will end his career as one of the greats. And it's Mike Trout and it's Shohei Otani's teammate. Mike Trout is, uh, you know, blue-blooded American, blue eyes, blonde hair, all that stuff. And he is a great baseball player. You know, he's had some troubles with injuries here lately. Uh, but I, I, I saw someone say this and it was the most genius thing ever. I can't think of one single Mike Trout quote in English throughout his entire career. And he's been playing baseball for like 10 years now. Mike Trout is a piece of wood and he is not good for, uh, for being the face of baseball. He is not like, he's exciting to watch, but he's just, he just doesn't bring the energy. He doesn't bring the charisma where like uh, some other players just do. They just have it. Um, so, so when you talk about growing the game as you know, you, you want an English speaker, you want someone, you want the game to grow in America, you want a, a native speaker to uh, to be your face. I, I don't think that's true because I think the game can speak for itself. I, I really think that that's the one thing that baseball needs to appreciate. And, you know, to their credit, baseball is doing a great job. And ESPN is doing their part, you know, all, all those you know, all the, all the sports media are doing their part. They're talking about Shohei Otani constantly. And some people are getting tired of it already where it's like, oh, you know, he was the starting pitcher for the AL, but some other AL pitcher may have had slightly better numbers. It's like, dude, you want to grow the game. You've got to put your stars out there. you got to put the face of baseball out there. Um, and I, I saw something where ever since Fanatics started selling Shohei Otani merch across all sports, Shohei Otani is the number one athlete for selling merchandise. Like that's baseball need, needs that. They need their uh, LeBron or they need their Tom Brady, you know, just that star who can carry the sport and make people watch. The problem is Shohei Otani is probably not going to be in the playoffs anytime soon because the angels are a dumpster fire of a franchise. But yeah. regardless, um, you know, Jeff Pass, I know you want to talk about the Jeff Passon thing where he went on the next day. So I'll let you talk about that. But overall, um, you know, a really bad 48 hours from Stephen A. Smith and if honestly his the, the fact that he doubled down after was disappointing yeah espn puts so much pressure on this man to be entertaining they give him the 10 million dollar contract 
they give they they make him the face. They give him a dedicated. They give him the six p.m. prime slot for Sports Center. They give him a Sports Center uh, hour. So when he's doing first take, he knows that what he's saying is going to be plastered all over ESPN. It's going to be put, it's going to be put all over Twitter, all over ESPN.com. So they need him to say to say hot takes. That's what first take is all about. First take is all about those hot takes. It's yep. that just like spit your hot take reactions. Don't you don't necessarily need to bring the most hard hitting analysis. Cause like Stephen A. Smith outside of ESPN, when you watch him on other interviews or just behind the scenes, he's not a dumb person. I don't think Stephen A. Smith is an idiot by any stretch of the imagination. He's very smart sure. and he he's I just think when he reason. Exactly. He's there to entertain and he's like he can be very entertaining. Um but when he like gets on first take and he knows what he they you know, his bosses expect of him. I think sometimes he can just, you know, some things just slip out where he's not thinking at all. Cause I don't, I, I don't want to say that Stephen A. Smith thinks that uh, non English speakers are bad for sports. It, it just was this really weird moment where it's like, dude, what, what are you even saying right now? I'm not trying to excuse what he said at all. Cause it was terrible. Um, <laughs> But the man is, uh, he, he has to be that hot take factory or else ESPN just doesn't get the views, doesn't get the clicks, doesn't get, because I mean, what, what were we all talking about? We were, we were all talking about Stephen A. Smith. We were all thinking about Stephen A. Smith. We were all talking about ESPN. We were talking about first take. They were just, the bosses, they're just worried about the bottom line. That's what we've talked about so many times here. You know, oh, why is this happening? Why are they trying to do a super league for soccer? Money. And so ESPN was probably happy with that. And there's no chance ever that they were going to worry about firing Stephen A. Smith um it's honestly kind of like this you know we we didn't even talk about this but like uh fourth of july uh, the maria taylor thing dropped uh, around that time where they were talking about maria taylor and uh rachel nichols had, rachel nichols was having uh something like behind this she was on a phone call and a phone call recording leaked of her complaining that maria taylor was getting her hosting job for the finals strictly because ESPN wanted to diversify. It's like Maria Taylor's extremely talented at her job. She's been doing college football. She's awesome. I love Maria Taylor. Um, so Rachel Nichols was mad about that. And like Rachel Nichols isn't fired by ESPN. She's been demoted. Like she's doing, you know, just basic press questions now. She's not doing side reporting. They gave that to uh, Malika Andrews. But I mean, ESPN execs knew that ESPN was the buzz that day when this stuff was going on. So yeah. Basically, what I'm trying to say is bosses only care about the bottom line. And, you know, Stephen A. Smith said it's out of our minds now. It's kind of last week's news. But, you know, we still wanted to touch on it. Um, I know you want to talk about the Jeff Passon thing. So just go go, like go right ahead. And any other thoughts you have on pretty much what I've been talking about for like the last, I don't know, have I been talking for 10 minutes straight now? I I don't know anymore, man. (laughs) I I mean – uh, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll cover the Jeff Passon thing. I'll even get back to the basketball comment. Um, Both of these, of course, being – ignorant comments from Stephen A. Um, I, I think the passing thing was great. However, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, looking at his comments, specifically on Shohei Itani, um, really the thing that kind of set people off, rightfully so, and I think was his stress was, as you said, in which I think you hit the nail on the head with a lot of this stuff, is, you know, he's like, he shouldn't need a translator for um, – you, you shouldn't have a guy who needs a translator be the, the face of the MLB, which 
first of all, as you said, 100% correct, is the stats can speak for themselves. Even if he really does need one, this man is doing, as you said, something that is not been seen in a long time. And because I think even a couple pods ago, we were talking about him and he's like going to be one of, he's going to have one of the best seasons to ever, ever happened. As you have said, he's, he's an incredible player. And he, I mean, this is just hoping the, you know, that he'll be able to continue to do this in the future. However, one thing that even Passon had pointed out was that was a poor statement in himself because Shohei Otani is able to speak English, and I think he, he's he, he, uh, I think he's even able to speak it like fluently or at least being able to understand it. So, fact of the matter is, Stephen A was wrong and almost made an assumption there, which is very ignorant. Beyond that, as you said, with how special of a player this is, it doesn't matter. Everyone's getting behind him. Everyone wants Shohei Otani to do well because, you know, even for as long as he's in the league, he may not have this incredible of a season again with how well he's played up to this point. This is like a kind of like it almost feels like a once in a blue moon type of thing. Obviously, you can hope for the best, but there's that possibility that this is the season. So he's incredible. Don't take away from that. As we kind of said with the, you know, the young players and whatnot, and everyone's still talking about the Lakers and talking about the Clippers embrace these teams embrace the young guys who are coming up as you said on my trout which is a great thing like don't force someone into the spotlight if they can't you know if they can't be there if he's in the spotlight and a lot of people want to talk about him cool but you don't have to be like my trout my trout my trout go and talk about Shohei Otani go and talk about Juan Soto someone who shouldn't have even been at the eighth spot in a home run derby someone who's been incredible particularly someone who's been like incredible with hitting home runs. Um, and if I remember, I think those two took it like an overtime or something in that match, because I think, uh, I think Otani tied him or something. I don't know, but it was cool to see when I saw, when I saw that it's just at the end of the day. And I think I've said this before on the podcast, it's about the sport and it's about the talent. I don't think really anything else matters beyond that, particularly with, the, the, the fact of a language barrier, you can work around that. Like, why is the language barrier the issue? When, if, if anything, the issue would be, you know, for example, if you hyped up Bryce Harper when after he was going like uh, in batting like high 300s and went all the way down to like mid 200s, you shouldn't hype up Bryce when he, you know, goes into this low range. You're hyping up Bryce because he's, Bryce Harper and he had like two incredible seasons and he's still a pretty consistent player that's why you hype him up you hype up Mike Trout because he puts up incredible numbers Shohei Otani is doing the exact same thing and putting up incredible numbers hype him up talk about him I think it's as simple as that and with the Jeff Passan thing I think it was uh, he had an incredible um talk on it um pretty shortly after the Otani thing they actually had a first take episode with Passan coming on to talk about the ignorance of the statement and, you know, kind of like Stephen A kind of just taking the talking to. And I would recommend actually looking that up. Passon had an incredible talk. Um, And one of the key points was it from it was the fact that I think Passon himself had an ignorant statement about Shohei Otani. So if I remember, he even was in this Stephen A scenario, just not as, you know, not as, 
big and you know like like on air at that 6 p.m time yeah if i remember he made some sort of like uh like ignorant statement in an article in which he quickly found out was wrong and then he went he said he went he thought i think he went and even said he went and talked to people possibly including otani himself and then i think he wrote another article talking about his ignorance and taking you know taking his um wrong words and displaying them kind of like almost what Stephen A was doing when Passon went and talked with him. So I think that that was a great segment. I think it's something that you should look up if you have the time. Um, and I think it's a good thing to look on, particularly to go ahead and look at your mistakes. Cause as you said, I don't think Stephen A is a dumb person. I think he just made a very terrible take and a take that was ignorant in a sense, like doing hot takes is fine. Making them ignorant um, specifically in regards of, you know, language barrier, if anything, or player pronunciation, it's it's weird. And specifically with the Nigerian basketball team case, I mean, just looking at their team, you can look at players who are in the NBA um, right now in a lot of these teams, with Nigeria being a really stacked team for, like, players in the NBA. You've got, um, and I hope I'm not wrong with, uh, pronouncing uh, pronouncing these names. You have Chimize Metu with Sacramento Kings. You have Josh Koji with Minnesota Timberwolves. Gabe Vincent with Miami Heat. Jordan Wara, formerly of uh, Louisville. He's now with Milwaukee. Precious Achua with Miami. Um, you also have Jaleel Okafor, former Duke guy. He's with Detroit, or at least he currently is with Detroit. You also have Akpala with Miami, and you have Mieoni with Utah. Again, I'm, I'm sorry I'm, I'm mispronouncing those names, but that's a lot of NBA players on the Nigerian team. You know, you got Germany with Mo Wagner and Isaac Bonga. The French national teams has like had a slew of uh, Europe, like European players for a while. Uh, Slovenia, or I'm, I'm pretty sure Slovenia with Luca. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not wrong with that. I'm pretty sure Luca's with Slovenia, but um, you know, like. One thing I think we talked about very recently, too, um, it was that one quote, I'm forgetting from who it was, but it was this, like, one player who said, like, the worst NBA bench player is closer to Michael Jordan than any, like, any of, like, these fans. Like, basically saying that the best, like, the worst NBA bench player can still school you. So... These are still good players. They're just not getting as many minutes because there's so many other good players on these teams. Um, honestly, part of the thing with Shohei Itani, I even forgot to mention, was the fact of we're hyping up Luka Doncic. What if he didn't have a translator, you know? What if he didn't know English? Would you have had the exact same take with Luka Doncic compared to Lita Shohei Itani? Or would you have still hyped up Luka Doncic? I think that's something to ponder on. But No, and I think, I think you're right I mean, with that one. Um, because like the question mark for the NBA for a while now has been, okay, LeBron and Steph are gone. Who, um, who, who, who do we, who do we do next? And if they say his first take was going to do a segment on that, would Stephen A. Smith scoff at the idea of Giannis or Luca being that next face of the league? Um, and again, those guys speak English, uh, well, and like, again, Shohei Otani did, uh, does, um, I don't know. It, it was just, it, it was very puzzling uh thing to hear because it just it, it really feel like it came out of nowhere yeah i mean both these things kind of felt very left field and were very weird and 
ignorant, but it's just you, you, one one thing my father said to me. Sometimes I'm a little crazy, particularly when I talk with him. Is you got to think before you speak, man. If if you're gonna have a take, you need to really think about it, and you really got to think about exactly what you're gonna be implying when you're saying it. And I, I think Stephen A. Uh, and if I remember, he even voices in the Jeff Passon thing. He has genuine concerns with Otani kind of being pushed into the spotlight, but you've got to be able to phrase it better than saying the dude needing a trans, like the dude that needs a translator at press conferences. That's horrible. That's like just such a bad take to have. Um, but I mean, that's kind of most of that. As I said, look up the Jeff Passon clip. Um, these are very ignorant statements and. Uh, I mean, honestly, be excited. If the one thing about this U.S. men's basketball team, though it's a negative, obviously, that I mean, in all fairness, they did lose to two teams that I mean, they're, they're they should be the by far best team in the world. But I think the one thing that could be exciting for people, um, particularly if you don't watch the Olympics much, something that you know, uh, hopefully we'll at least be able to cover like the end of it for y'all, but um, or like some big things happen during is the fact that this is going to make the Olympics a little bit more exciting. Because we look vulnerable. We look like a team that may not win gold at the Olympics. So I think that's going to make things a lot more exciting. Honestly, this draws my interest into looking, uh, watching U.S. men's basketball at the Olympics. Because there's a possibility that we could lose. And you could have any of these teams, including uh, Nigeria and Australia, who are both in Group B. One of them could beat us. So... I find that in itself to be intriguing. So, yeah. Yeah, I find that intriguing too. Um, and I was looking this up uh, just a minute ago. Uh, Olympic group stage play for basketball does start uh, this weekend. Uh, starts Saturday. The United States plays France on Sunday morning. So if you want to wake up at 8 a.m., there is your start date, uh, U.S. versus France on Sunday morning. All right. So how about we wrap this up with some international soccer stuff? Uh, we had Euros happen. Yeah, man. So we had Euros wrap up. We had the uh, – it's the Copa del, del America, right? That's that's what um, – that, that, that's what uh, uh, yeah, Copa no, America uh, is. Yeah, it's Copa America, yeah. Yeah, Copa America. All right. So we have Euros wrap up. Uh, Italy won that. We have Argentina's win in Copa. And then now we have Gold Cup play starting. Group stage play, I'm, I'm – I think it wrapped up last night uh, with the final group. Now we're going to have knockout stage. United States uh, men's national team pretty much was playing their BC team their entire the entire way. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll ask you some. I'll ask you a little bit about that when we get to Gold Cup stuff. But uh, United States went undefeated in group stage place. So now we got the knockout round coming up. All right. So where do you want to start? I think you want to start. Do you do you want to just do a quick touch on Copa because I mean I I, I didn't yeah. pay too much attention to it. Um, but I know it's a big deal. Messi winning his first international trophy with Argentina. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't able to keep up as well with it as much as I would have liked. Um, however, yeah, I mean, that is really the big story of it. Otherwise, honestly, Copa America would probably be very much a brush-off statement of like, woohoo, Brazil winning because that's Brazil has been very dominant when it comes to that. But yeah, Messi winning his first trophy. Um, honestly, I'm very happy for him. Uh, it has been a long time. Uh, and it's been a long time coming. Um, 
maybe not even one of his best teams, but it was just, it was, it was um, from what I know, a hard fought match. I know Argentina was in control for a good bit of time. Um, I know a lot of my friends follow it in there. Some of them were saying it was Neymar versus Argentina um, and stuff like that. So Argentina had a good performance, but um, even some quotes like from Messi after the game, I don't know if I can find the specific quote on uh, my Twitter feed. However, um, you know, Messi going and thanking Emmy Martinez after the match and saying that you're like, like you got this cup for me. Um, Emmy Martinez currently at Aston Villa, uh, incredible keeper, had a great season last year. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, Emmy Martinez just continuing his hot form and has been like honestly incredible since leaving Arsenal. Um, you have some really good uh, young players for Argentina that were starting to shine. Uh, you know, obviously you have the name of Argentina, Messi. Uh, it's, it's just great to see for Argentina. Um, I will say looking more, I think, at this Argentina national team, they will excite me when it comes to uh, World Cup next year in Qatar. Um, but it'll be interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting to see this team can pull through because like, there's a lot of, like, really talented teams right now. Um, you know, I mean, there always has been, but particularly as my interest in soccer is growing and – my soccer knowledge is hopefully able to grow with it. Um, there's just a lot of decent teams right now. And Argentina was able to fight through Copa America pretty well. So um, I don't know. Argentina could be a team that you, you could be looking at uh, talking about them when it comes to who you're thinking will win the world cup, particularly with France uh, out of sorts as they were. I mean, but before, uh, before Euros finished, you would have probably said that France would be the favorite for 2022, but after Euros being done, I don't think there's really any favorite right now. I think it's just a bunch of really good teams. France doesn't look as dominant as they were. So, you know, it'd be cool to see Argentina win. I'm not saying I want them to necessarily, but it'd be cool. And I'm very happy for Messi winning his first trophy because he deserves it. He's one of the best, if not the best ever. Yeah. Uh, and I want to, so now I want to switch gears over to Euros. Um, I liked everything you had to say there, by the way, about uh, Copa and Messi and Argentina and potential World Cup uh, contention. Um, because we, we focus more on Euros. That it seems like the bigger competition to pay attention to. You know, we talked about uh, the final when it was set. Um, you know, it's been over a week now since the, since the game. But, you know, thinking back on our predictions, I know we both went Italy. We both went 2-1. I would like to claim a little bit of a bonus point for myself. I did I did say I thought England would score first. I could see that happening in Wembley erupting, uh, which did happen. It happened pretty early. Um, yeah, Luke Shaw was a huge part of that. It was an incredible buildup. It, it was a very incredible goal yep. um, right off the bat. But, you know, was there anything in this game that surprised you? Because I, I didn't – I couldn't really think about the game in depth because I don't really fully understand still – what it what what really was going on but i remember so so i went to uh so this past weekend i went north with some friends uh up here in northern michigan and i stayed with uh a family it's just like a friend of one of my friend's dads and they're a very italian family so they were obviously very excited about the game and one of my friends asked them about the match and he's the the dad is a soccer coach. So, you know, he, he really knows what's going on and he's invested, you know, in, in the internet, in the international sport, in the Italian national team. And he knows what he's talking about when it comes to soccer. So his perspective on the game was that England just completely let off the gas 
from the start, which I thought was also accurate. I mean, you look at the spread, Italy dominated possession in this game. Uh, and right off that first goal, England did seem to be playing a lot more defensive, not really trying to, you know, keep that foot on the gas. And then they eventually let Italy equalize. And then, you know, we can talk about extra time and penalties in a minute, but did anything surprise you? Was that, do you think that's a fair assessment of the game as well too? Um, I mean, I, I think there's even a little bit more to it, but I mean, yeah, I would, I would generally agree. Now there's slight good news, and bad news with this. The bad news was, was I actually had work during this, but the good news was, was they were actually, it was cool. Cause I, I work at the Frenets park. The, the good thing about it was that they actually put this on since it was such a big game on like the big screen at Fred Nats Park and they put it on all the other like small screens around the stadium. So I was able to catch, catch a really good bit of the game all the way up until uh, penalties in the second uh, period of overtime. So I have a general idea about it. I even saw the goal. As I said, it was an incredible buildup. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, a lot of the issue with Gareth Southgate, something I talked about um when it was uh, him in Germany, it's part of it is putting together the correct like 11 for England. But even more importantly with this game is it's felt like though England like did look pretty good, like at the start that he's willing to just, um, he's willing to step back and he's willing to try to take pressure, which taking pressure is fine, but I wouldn't recommend it in a one nothing lead, particularly against a team as good as Italy. And it's something that Southgate is very like used to doing. It's something that his lineups seem very much like what they're built to do. Like Gareth Southgate's lineups are built to get a one nothing lead for England and then sit back and really not do anything for the rest of the game, which is annoying, which is why I was so close to taking Germany over England because Southgate just doesn't do enough offensively. It was why Harry Kane didn't have a single goal after the group stage was done. He only got his goals in a knockout stage. So, yeah, I, I mean, part of it is just with how Southgate runs the team. But, yeah, I mean, England, after, like, the beginning, um, England started off really, really hot. Italy looked in shambles with it, too. Um, I think, obviously, having that home field advantage really hurt um, for Italy, at least, to start. But England allowed Italy to get back in the game. And that's not what you do against a team that hasn't lost in, I don't even know how long. Like, I remember when we looked it back up, like, what, they hadn't lost since, like, last September, and probably even before that. So this is the team that hasn't lost a game in a year, if not a year. I mean, close to a year, if not even longer. This team is in incredible form. You cannot let Italy get back into it. You have to keep pressing on the gas. You have to take a multi-goal lead and then start to do that. But Italy just kind of eventually let, uh, let off the pedal. Italy got a really good goal that they had been working towards uh, off the header of Benucci. And then it was just kind of a good contest for the rest of the game. Like there, there just wasn't much that either, I mean, really, there wasn't much either side was able to do throughout the match, though from what I was able to tell, Italy had a lot better chances. But yeah, once England scored with Shaw's, I mean, I fully remember the goal now, Shaw's beautiful uh, volley in the second minute. Um, they, it's just, it didn't feel like they did much. And it's a very, it's very much a Gareth Southgate system. And it's annoying. It should particularly be annoying for English fans because 
with taking a lead like that, you have the players that you could have actually won that game. And, you know, some of those players sadly choked towards the end in penalties, but that's something to talk about and the fan backlash to talk about as well. Yeah, it seems um, seems odd to play that style when you have some great players like Harry Kane, who's obviously a world-renowned uh, striker, and, you know, you're only limiting yourself to, you know, oh, first goal offensively very quickly. Let's not try to, you know, push the issue, you know, yeah. the rest of the game. Um, yeah, we can talk about penalties real quick. Uh, I, I don't want to get too far into the whole backlash thing other than the fact that English fans are – or any English fans that were responding negatively um, with uh, bouts of racism uh, following penalties are just sick humans. And I really have no other thoughts for them because I don't want to waste my time on garbage. But um, I mean, it was, it was a great uh, performance by the Italian goalkeeper. That's really what it comes down to for me. Um, and, and it wasn't like Pickford was awful. Pickford did his job. He saved the um, fifth Italian shot, uh, gave them a chance to extend it beyond the five penalties. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I can't really say much other than uh, outside of penalties other than um, yeah, here, here's a question I have. I, I guess I'll just get back on track with this. Yeah. With penalties, is it a manager's lineup or is it players stepping up to take them? Because I know I've seen I saw a lot of backlash when it comes to um, Saka or is it Saka or Sako? Saka. Saka. Okay, for England taking the fifth, and he is um, he is a nineteen-year-old player who, from yep. what I saw, has never taken a penalty before. Yep, that was his what first is- ever penalty. What is Gareth Southgate doing as the manager? Does he not have authority to just say, hey, no, I have this better lineup. I have a player that's taken penalties before. Like in that scenario, if you were the manager and, you know, your first four have been taken, it's the last one you have to make it. Obviously, if this continues, he'll have to take one eventually. But this is the one to extend penalties. Does the manager not have a lineup set in mind? What, 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 what's going on in that situation right there? What, why, does, why does that happen where we get to the situation where a 19-year-old, child, where a 19-year-old kid is, is taking this crucial of a kick? That's a great question. Um, to my knowledge, it is very much a manager thing. Um, it's actually something that's even practiced every now and then. Part of the reason I specifically know now is because of uh, – you know, my, my starting keeper for the Euro finals, David De Gea, when we talked about that, um, actually got advice from his goalkeeper coaches on where to dive for the Sevilla penalty kick ta- or the Villarreal penalty kick tapers, takers, and he threw that out the window. And, you know, we lost in penalties. Um, but beyond that, yeah, it, it, is, it is very much a coached up thing because you have to, particularly if you get up to the scenario, and it's something that, as I just mentioned, keepers are coached on. Uh, Donnarumma and Pickford both being uh, solid in penalties. Um, I think what Donnarumma had to do it twice, and that was Pickford's only time doing it. So they both had incredible tournaments themselves. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a manager thing. I'm trying to get like the lineup. I know the people that missed the penalties I know are Jaden Stancho, Marcus Rashford, and um, 
Bukayo Saka on the England side. But no, I mean, uh, my part of my issue is I don't know who else took or, or like who didn't take penalties for England. That's what I'm trying to look up. But no, I mean, I, I think part of it could be the player who steps up. Um, that's been some of the circumstances like um, in, in soccer news that you may not have heard of, like back in 2019 when Cavani PSG, there was an issue between him and Neymar on who would take penalties. Um, and the, those two had a falling out with that. Um, so sometimes I think it's down to the player, but a lot of the times it's particularly down to the manager. Um, and I think with the substitutions he made, um, including he had, I think he had like a really good penalty taker that he subbed off. Uh, I think he may have subbed off Kane during that. Oh, no, no, no. I'm thinking, I think I'm thinking of a mobile getting subbed off readily, but I digress. Um, yeah, I think it definitely comes down to the managers because you want to go and, um, try to get like your best players, like at the, in the first five, because you expect to just go through the first five. That's what you're hoping for. You're hoping for maybe a lucky miss or a lucky save. And you're looking for your five best guys in a good order, most likely finishing with your first or second best um, to go with that. So I, I don't know if Saka stepped up necessarily. The one thing I could think of if Southgate was the man to decide for Saka to step up, may have been the fact that it was his first ever penalty, at least at, at the professional level, and Donnarumma doesn't have any tape on him. So that could have possibly been an on-the-fly thing where Donnarumma has no clue where Sokka's going to go, and it is literally just a coin flip um, to keep England in. So that, that could honestly be the case, but I, I personally do not know in that circumstance. Uh, yeah, it just seemed like an odd. Yeah. You know, it, it, it seemed like an odd pick if, if that was actually what happened. Um, but yeah, and, and the following backlash was obviously disgusting. And it was, it was horrible. It's, it's something that's been an issue with English football, particularly a lot this past year. And it's been a big issue. I think I talked about it with Marcus Rashford. Uh, I think we talked about that on the podcast. Yeah, you, talk, yeah, you talked about it with, Mar- with Marcus Rashford a lot, specifically with like United and stuff. Yep. And it's, uh, yeah, because yeah, we talked about it specifically after the Euro. And and it, it's been horrible for Marcus, um, you know, someone who's been actually playing on injuries. I think he might have to go and get some, like, fix up stuff after this, possibly. But um, uh, you, you got it to Sancho, you got it to specifically Saka, as you said, his first time ever taking a penalty at a professional level. And he's just like an 18, 19 year old kid. Why? Yeah, man, that's, that's ridiculous. My, my nerves would be shattered. Yeah, like I, Dude, like, I, I don't know how he does it. Put yourself in his shoes. How nervous would you be and how horrible would you feel for your country that's, you know, chanting, it's coming home and they're so excited for you. So then on a flip of a dime, because you're taking your first ever penalty and not being able to convert, they're like, oh, you're horrible. You should be out of the team. Racial slur, racial slur. It's horrible. It's disgusting. It's one of the worst things of football, um, and I just despise it and hate it. Um, I, I guess literally the only good thing I can even think uh, think about, even in regards to that, was um, a lot of people piped up Ted Lasso and the the I'm forgetting the actor's name, but he he wore just a shirt in support of that. And there's a lot of people that support it. I mean, obviously the negative comments are few and far between. I haven't even looked at the like I don't really specifically look at the players' posts for it. 
But one thing is, is you could probably go and look at the players' posts and you'll probably see some of the most liked tweets are going to be the ones where um, it's like these uh, very supportive and like, you know, you did really well. You got us this far. It's incredible. Let's go win World Cup, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but specifically the fact that there are these tweets out there and there are these tweets that are, you, you know, that people have this low morals to be able to do it is disgusting. Um, and it's stuff that should not be on social media platforms, period. And I know some people are getting banned. Um, I think I even remember I saw a story of some dude possibly got arrested over it in England. So good that those people are getting backlash from it. Um, beyond that, one last thing on this, I think, before we move to Gold Cup. I did want to go through the team of the tournament. I don't know if you'll, ha- if you'll have any opinions on this, but... I actually think this is a really good team of the tournament if you are interested in hearing. Yeah, go for it. So in goal is Donnarumma. Completely agree. He was incredible at the Euros. He is now officially a PSG player. I think it was like a week ago that he signed uh, on a free because he was a free agent after leaving Milan. So good for him. Really excited for his career. Excited for PSG. They've made incredible moves this summer. Um or at least I think they are. I think they've signed a couple guys, including, I think, Ramos and Donnarumma on a free. So incredible stuff from him and from them. Uh, right back being Kyle Walker, I kind of disagree with. Um, now, they did play this in a 4-3-3 system. It's very bland for a team of the tournament setup. But there was just so many good left backs that were left out, and the left backs of this tournament were incredible. Um, I think really the guy that I would have talked about at right back over Walker would be uh, my uh, – I hope I'm not saying his name wrong, but Mahele, something like that for Denmark. Um, I think he's the right back for them. He was incredible during this tournament um, and was really incredible in the knockouts. I think that he should have got the shout here, but Walker had an incredible semifinals, if I remember right. So I I can see it. Benucci and McGuire, center back, 100%. They both earned it. Spinozola, left back, 100%. Until he tore his Achilles, he earned it. Uh, Hoiberg, in the midfield with Jorginho and Pedri. I don't know if I fully agree Jorginho, but Jorginho was really good this tournament and he's kind of the workhorse. He's the like focal point of every team he's been in. Uh, or maybe that's not even the word, but it's like the heartbeat. He's the guy that you keep passing to and he's the one that's going to find those passes um, to keep pushing play um, and then even to drop back to defense. So Jorginho being the heart and soul of Italy, I can get it. Hoy Bjerg was kind of the same for Denmark, uh, particularly after Eriksson suffering his, uh, his, his, you know, scary injury. And Hoy Bjerg stepped up in a massive way. Um, and then Pedri, he's, o- he's only 17 years old, talking about someone young. And he had such an incredible tournament. Good Lord. He absolutely deserved it. He was the heartbeat of Spain's midfield. And then Chiesa up top. Chiesa was incredible during the knockouts. He absolutely earned it. Um, and Juventus have considered him untouchable this summer in which, duh, like he was incredible. I, I hope he has a great season at Juve this year. Uh, Lukaku up top, um, good for him. He definitely earned it. He was one of the top goal scorers of this tournament. And then Raheem Sterling, uh, he was great during the group stage. Overall, he was pretty consistently good. So if you could throw another striker up there, that would have been great. Like maybe Ronaldo rather than Sterling or Chiesa. But I honestly, surprisingly enough, there's some teams in the tournament that, as a fan, I'll have issues with. This one, I think it's pretty spot on. I think this is very, like, picking hair, like, uh, pulling hairs between some of it. So, 
I thought it was a good, uh, well-selected team by whatever committee selected it. Yeah, I wouldn't really say um, that I have too much input on the best team per se. Uh, I mean, I, like, like, like I've said, I haven't, I, I didn't follow the tournament that closely where I could pick out, you know, a best 11 um, players by position, you know, ac across the whole tournament. But needless to say, I still had a good, I, I still had a really fun time watching it. Uh, I'm trying to get in into soccer more. So, um, watching it, watching pretty much the top end talent in the world, uh, have this continental competition. It, it was very enjoyable. It was very enjoyable for sure. So I guess with that said, we could talk about the, uh, North American version of it. <laughs> it may be a little less in quality, but, uh, hopefully it keeps up with the entertainment factor. Uh, I, I said earlier that it wrapped up last night, uh, on Monday and that we were already in knockout stage, but that is not true. Uh, the final games are tonight uh you have group c and group d um wrapping up and that will fill out the rest of the knockout stage um you know i, I want to pull up what games we have tonight and just like where the uh, gold I, cup I, table I can, is I right now you. yeah I oh got you do you do right here, so. awesome awesome uh, look at him he, he's he's prepared <laughs> oh this is all good man i mean uh the really the exciting one is the two teams that are going to go through in Group C, which is Costa Rica and Jamaica. Uh, I, I will say I don't know how the knockout stage goes for Gold Cup. But I think I saw that was something different. However, um, Costa Rica and Jamaica are one and two in Group C, both with uh, two wins. Um, then beyond that uh, matchup, you have Suriname versus Guadalupe, Panama versus Granada, and Honduras versus Qatar. The first two games I mentioned are at 7 p.m. Eastern, and then the other two are at 9. I don't think it's going to matter, <laughs> thinking about it. because Right. I'm looking at the table right now. Um, yeah, Qatar already has four points, and they have a plus-four goal differential. Uh, Panama would have to get in and have to beat Granada, like, 100 to nothing just to get in uh, over Qatar. Um, the, the one interesting one, I think, is um, the Costa Rica-Jamaica one, just because – at least if you're following the United States men's national team, uh, loser of that game and second in group C and would play the United States who won in group B um, with the nine points winning all three games. So that, that matchup, it's probably the two best teams uh, playing tonight and they're in the same group. So they're playing each other. Um, yeah. And w winner gets to play Canada. Loser gets to play the United States. Um, yeah, I, I just pulled up the bracket, so it is just a normal bracket. I was, I was scared yeah. for a second. I thought I saw that it was, like, weird, and I was like, oh, no. But, no, it's a very simple – it's actually what the Euros used to be. So, we have um, three rounds of knockouts. You have the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. And, yeah, you're 100% cr uh, correct. So, the runner-up in Group C will come up against us, and then the winner will come up against Canada. With the other two in Group D coming up against El Salvador and Mexico, respectively. Yes. Yes. Um, so, I, I mean, look, I, I, I've been paying attention to the final scores of the U S team just because, you know, after watching the nation's league final, you know, watching that match and having a great time with it, I, I want to keep up with them. Um, obviously we got world cup qualifying coming up in September. Yep. Are you, so none of like the stars of the United States team played uh, or, or have played 
if, if any meaningful minutes um, during this group stage where they won all three games. And look, they got by Canada one uh, nil. Um, I believe they got by uh, they they got by Haiti one nil, and then they beat Martinique. Uh, I believe six one. Yeah. yeah you're so right. so I, I mean they're obviously expecting to do well in the group stage against countries that are lesser than them. I mean, they had a like first minute goal, like first 20 seconds goal against Canada. And then from then on out, they just played defense and ended up winning that game. So just in terms of the knockout stage, do you think they're going to maybe, I don't know, try, are they going to put their uh, best guys out there? Are we going to see more Pulisic and the rest and, and like McKinney in them? Um, or do you think like maybe not quite in the quarterfinals, maybe in the semis? Cause I'm looking at this right here. Uh, okay, so 1B, 2C. All right, so 1A, Mexico's in Group A. Okay, so, the, so for a team like Mexico, who I would say is the best team, um, the, the, Mexico's the best team in this tournament. So it, it, just based on, like, you know, yeah, what yeah. the hell they've always performed in CONCACAF. Um, the, 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 the United States can't meet up with them until the final. So in between there, um, you're looking at, a potential matchup against, I don't know, a team like a Panama uh, in the semifinals. You're obviously looking at a team like Costa Rica or Jamaica in the quarters. Um, do you think that they're going to put out like the A team coming up here soon? Or uh, are, are we just like not caring about this gold cup as much as say the nation's league? And, you know, we're thinking about world cup qualifying come September. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know if the World Cup qualifying is really going to affect it. Um, however, I, I, I mean, do you think what actually would be affecting it would kind of be the Nations League? It honestly might possibly be cup play as or club play as well. Because, um, I mean, if, if you look at it as well, um, if you go on ESPN, it'll show you like the roster. I'm pretty sure the whole roster and what we have at the Gold Cup. But like, we specifically, as you mentioned, don't really have many of our A players. So Pulisic isn't here. Wes McKinney isn't here. Giorena. Like, none of those guys are called up for the Gold Cup. So, for example, I actually pulled up an article here. It's uh, on something called boldclip.com. Um, and it says here, U.S. men's national team coach itself, however, explained the reasons why Pulisic isn't on the list. According to him, Pulisic won't play in the 2021 Gold Cup to have some rest after a demanding season with Chelsea. That includes the Champions League, uh, the Champions League win we had. Um, so this tournament for Baralter, including like that type of thing. So I think a little bit is the club saying, Hey, our players need a rest. Um, but I think some of it as well is, uh, uh, it seems like you're right with the article. Part of it is the world cup, but it's also Baralter wants to try, like, not like for resting the players, but it's to see who he can throw into that a team or like who he can throw onto the bench of that a team. So like, I think Donovan Pines is pretty new to the team. Uh, Gianluca Busio, um, I'm pretty sure he, like, he's pretty young. He actually just got a move to Italy uh, like this past week. Um, so he's getting some minutes here. And then you got like uh, DK, someone who I'm pretty sure didn't really shine during um, Nations League. Uh, DK's getting more minutes. Uh, and then you're testing some of the other guys that are there. Like, so DK and Acosta were with the team. Uh, not consistent starters, but they were there. You have Walker Zimmerman getting some minutes again. Uh, someone who was with the first team, but I think was out with injury for a bit. So really all the Gold Cup is for us this year is to just kind of uh, find some new talent to possibly call up to the A side. 
And, you know, if, if we win, we win. And if we don't, it's not too much off Peralta's back because he'll then hopefully have some more guys that he can throw in to the qualifying team for Qatar 2022. And he can start building chemistry from there to prepare for the World Cup that we have to make. Yeah, no, and that's what I'm thinking too. Like, if you want to think about, okay, we got to save our guys for World Cup qualifying because we need to make it this year. I'm good with that. It's a couple months away. They obviously still have club play coming up to worry about for all the guys that are over in Europe. Um, hmm. But like, are, are, is a team like Mexico taking this? I, I don't want to say more seriously. Like, I don't think that the United States is just kind of brushing this off. Oh, we won the, we won the Nations League. We don't need to win another CONCACAF trophy. Uh, does this, like, I just don't, I just don't quite understand like the attitude here. Like, is this just something that, Oh, we'll just like brush this off. We don't need to win this gold cup here. Cause like, I feel like this would be good for um, team morale. I don't know. I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on this? Am I like, am I just like this unrealistic sports fan that's expecting um, like, I, I get, I, I totally get resting players. I, I'm not saying that that's something that yeah. we shouldn't do. But when it comes to a competition like this and with the United States men's soccer being the butt of so many jokes, I feel like they would want to win as much as they can uh, with everything coming up with everything that's happened. I, I just don't know. Like, is it not, is it just not realistic of me to expect them to put out their A team every single, you know, potential tournament? Uh, no, I don't think this is unrealistic at all. I think just in this specific case, there's a lot of things that have been coming up. And, uh, you know, this is the first time we had Nations League. You know, we're, we are the oldest and youngest uh, t- team to ever win the Nations League. So the, the fact that we had that and we followed that up like a month later with Gold Cup. And then uh, since Gold Cup is going to wrap up like early August, it's basically going to be a little bit over a month till World Cup qualifying starts. Um, and then these European seasons are going to start where a lot of our A players are actually going to now, which is amazing, by the way. I love that. Um, so I think it's just making sure that these players get rest. And uh, I, I mean, I think for Mexico, it, it might just be to kind of get a bounce. Like for them, I think they need this win. I think they need to get that bounce back after losing in the Nations League final, uh, particularly how they like you kind of like losing late that's something that could really hurt a team in morale, but for the United States, this isn't something we quite need. In all honesty, even looking at this article, I kind of agree with Baralter just because when we talked about it with Nations League, um, there was some stuff that slightly concerned me when looking at that team as well, and there was some kind of unknowns, I think, and there was there's some like questionable things there, so I think getting that opportunity to be able to test some of these uh, uh, like other guys, whether they're young and new, uh, whether they're just new because they haven't been called up before, etc. cetera. I, I think it's good to have that. I mean, as I said, I think if Beralter can win it, he'll try. Um, but it's just, it's not his number one priority. His number one priority is to see in like these hard games and these clutch moments, what of these new players and like what's in our B or C squad aside, what of those players can stand out and are they worth getting into the A team as we're going to push to not only make Qatar, but honestly, like think about the last time we were in the world cup, it was 2014 and we actually made the round of 16. So for Alter's goal would probably be to 
try to do something close to that, to, you know, it, it, at least try to come back to the World Cup with a vengeance. You got to get that right team, particularly when there's a lot of teams in the world, as we were talking about with Argentina. Um, there's a lot of teams kind of hitting big form and really good form at the right time. Yeah, I know. I, I get what you're saying there. Um, you know, Mexico is just kind of like the gold standard of CONCACAF when it comes to international soccer. So I, I'm, I'm looking because I don't want to be like, oh, Mexico is taking us so much more seriously than, than us. And then I'm looking at their, and like I go to look at their roster. Now I don't follow Mexican soccer. I don't know any of these players. Um, the, the one I do know is Ochoa, the keeper, uh, and he is noticeably noticeably missing from their Gold Cup squad. So. Uh, may, I don't know. Maybe they aren't. May, maybe they are also, you know, mostly focusing on um, making sure they get the rest after Nations League. Uh, they they get might ready for World Cup qualifying. I, I can't tell for all of these players, but they got a lot of their big players. Like Jesus Corona is in the team. Um, I, I think Funes Mori is uh, one of their kind of like new uh, starting forwards. I don't know if he's like their actual starter starter, but I know he's someone that's in and around the picture. Uh, Hector Herrera and Eric Gutierrez are like their two starting midfielders with Hector Moreno in that back line. So um, I think even Salcedo gets good minutes for them. They're right back. Um, who's currently at Tigres. So they're, they're putting up a good bit of players, but I mean, you are correct. Like a lot of these, a good bit of their players, I think as well are rotation. I mean, I even look at their bench and I don't recognize a lot of their bench. So I think they just brought like a few a guys, um, and then they they might even be testing a little bit as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking through some of these guys, and some of these guys are actually in the uh, Liga MA keys. Like, uh, gosh, I'm forgetting the club. I think it's like Montes and uh, Tigres, uh, et cetera. So it looks like they might be trying to find new talent as well. I mean, but I don't know if that would just be uh, trying to find other guys to get into their team. Or if, you know, if it was that bad of a performance in uh, Nations League that they might even be looking for some new guys in the team. I don't think it's that far, but, that, you know, it could be a possibility because, as I said, that was a very – I would assume that that was a very demoralizing loss. Yeah, and I, and I would understand that. Um, it, it's just interesting to me that, like, that can happen. Because, I honestly, I feel like Gold Cup – it, Gold Cup to me comes across as a bigger deal than Nations League. Um, I mean, it's been around longer, obviously, and mm. I, I don't know because it, 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 it's Concacaf's version of the Euro, um, of the European Championship. So, you know, you know, it's it, it's it's just interesting to me, and like we could potentially get a second consecutive uh, Concacaf final between the United States and Mexico, but it'll be completely different teams and that just comes across as a different feel to me. So I don't know. It, it'll be something it's to bigger. watch. Um, yeah. 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 It, it's bigger. Um, it's just, as I said, I think it's literally with all the competitions that have happened and everything. It's just, it's, it's bad timing. If there's a little bit more of a rest, maybe uh, like us to Mexico would have brought, brought more of their A players, but it's just, you, you can't put too much on the players, particularly, you know, when Pulisic has been suffering injury issues over the past couple seasons and whatnot, you got to make sure the players stay healthy and even get rewarded for big wins. Oh, sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, all right. So knockout games start uh, this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. United States plays the final game on Sunday at 9.30 p.m. Um, they'll be playing uh, the loser of Costa Rica, Jamaica, tonight at 7. 
Um, and on from that, semifinals the 29th, and then the final is on August 1st. So, I mean, with that being said, man, was there anything else that you wanted to get into today? Uh, I mean, no, nah, man, I don't think so. There, there's some other things we got to talk about, but obviously we were going to have a little bit of a Fantasy Friday, uh, patent pending. Um, but <laughs> yeah, then right. Beyond that, I mean, there's some other things that we got on the burner, but that stuff's going to come, obviously, at a later time. Ho- hopefully, sure. hey, we, hey, we've been talking about this, but uh, something to do, a little bit something to do with one of my teams. So hopefully that thing will get across the line this week and we'll have something huge to talk about next week. Yeah, man. Definitely, definitely, definitely. All right, man. Well, great talking to you. Uh, Thank you guys all for listening. Be sure to check out other episodes of the 3304 Sports Podcast on Anchor and Spotify with me and Colbjorn. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day and take care.